the group text. I am so excited today. Today's topic is something that I am just fascinated by. Today we're going to be talking about cults, and we have quite the lineup. First up, Rick Allen Ross, the author of Cults Inside and Out. You are the cult expert. Is that correct? Yeah, I testify in court as an expert witness regarding uh, authoritarian groups called cults. Ooh, interesting. Someone I have known and adored for a long time, Catherine Oxenberg, author of Captive. She's a philanthropist, a mom, an actress, a woman of the world, (laughs) a jet setter. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much. Of course, once again, the fabulous Glozell. Yes. Who has new hair today. Yeah, it's actually my hair. No weave today. Wow. That's kind of exciting. (laughs) That's very exciting. And my beloved Sabrina Miller, the voice of truth. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) So, Rick, right off the bat, what I want to know is what makes something a cult? Define cult for us because it's a word that's very much bandied about. Yeah, I think it's important because a lot of people abuse the word and apply it to virtually anything. I I think to define a destructive cult, there are three uh, core characteristics. Uh, One is that there is an absolute authoritarian leader who has become an object of worship, is the defining element and driving force of the group. Whatever he or she says is right is right. Whatever they say is wrong is wrong. You mean that's how I've tried to raise my child. Do you realize that? Well, (laughs) I I, I don't know if your son would accept this kind of authority. But second, second, second that, um, that there is a process of indoctrination that some would call brainwashing that is a combination of of coercive persuasion and influence techniques used without informed consent deceptively to gain undue influence over individuals. And then third, that the group actually hurts people. Because you might have one and two, but maybe three is not evident. That is that they're really hurting, exploiting people. And that varies by degree from group to group. So not all groups are, are mixing a batch of Kool-Aid with cyanide or stockpiling weapons waiting for Armageddon. And some groups are much more destructive than others. So you look for those three core characteristics And the group could be religious, it could be therapy, it could be yoga, it could be meditation, it could be uh, theosophy, politics. Theosophy is religion, correct? Well, more of a philosophical construct, but but whatever... Is that like infotainment? (laughs) (laughs) Just curious. (laughs) Whatever the facade is of the group is is not what is important. It is pulling the facade off and looking at the mechanics and the structure. In other words, not what the group believes, but how the group behaves. Wow. Wow. Being a a sports mom, I have to say that unfortunately checks a lot of those boxes. Um, What are some of the... Sorry, I just wanted to piggyback on what Rick said, is that as I was learning about cults... Right, which we're going to get to. I mean, you literally, literally, in your book, you brought... Down a, a major cult, like you, you. You just, know why? I had skin in the game. You know yeah. why? Uh-huh. You know why? She's a mama bear. I'm a yeah. mama bear. But I mean, I don't yeah. think people when they read the book they'll learn this. You literally toppled a, almost a billion dollar cult. Yeah, which is like <laughs> crazy. I mean, fantastic, but I'm still recovering. But wait, yes. the, the point that I wanted to make is what you sign up for 
is not what is really going on. It's and, like a bait and switch. Yeah, yeah that's right. that's the key. It's like because my daughter would say, "Well, you know, if you go into the army, you you go through indoctrination and boot camp. Yeah, but you know, you're you're going to you sign up to be a soldier, right? So India joined Executive Success Nexium, but she didn't sign up. She didn't join what this group was really about because Correct. it's completely hidden. Right? It's a hidden agenda. That's what's so scary about these groups. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, uh, Rick, are the most famous cults? Well, certainly everybody has heard about the group Scientology because so many celebrities are involved in it, in it and it's been called a cult. And then the Children of God, which a number of celebrities were involved in, like Rose McGowan and River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, and then, uh, of course, uh, Jonestown, which is fading from memory, but that was the group where almost a 1,000 people died in which 1978. Is, I, I remember as a child seeing the news report and the Branch Davidian. Yeah. Uh, Manson. Charles oh, Manson. Well, Charles Manson, yeah. of course. I remember uh, when there was like Wicko, Texas. That Waco, yeah. that's Branch yeah. Davidian. And I was yes. like, what is happening? And then, and then the People's Temple. Yeah, the People's Temple actually was, was that a, the Purple that Triangle someone, one. Someone that that, that would be Jim Jones mm -hmm. and Gu Gu Guyana, mm -hmm. and in 1978. And what most people don't realize is that People's Temple was a mega church. There mm -hmm. were thousands of people who used to go to People's Temple in the Bay Area in San Francisco. And Jim Jones was a highly regarded minister who was friends with then Governor Jerry Brown. And there's a fantastic Willie book Brown. on it. Yeah, Fantastic I mean, it, 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 it. very fascinating how this guy, who was really a mover and a shaker, was behind the scenes horribly abusing people mm -hmm. and was a cult leader. Well, that's why they finally left, yeah. because he wanted to kind of escape being, right. you know, in eyes view and of what he well, was doing. Um, does, does anybody remember the Sylvanians? Yeah, the Sylvanians were a, a psychotherapy group that... Uh, East Coast. Yeah, that was uh, mainly in Connecticut, mm -hmm. and they were led by a so-called therapist, and they had a therapy in which I would say it was standard uh, coercive persuasion, which is you break people down through confession, through catharsis that you micromanage. And a lot of and polygamy. Then, yeah, and then, and then you change them. You, you start to work on them after they're in distress and they're caved in. And then finally, once you have affected that change, you lock it in by creating a community, a subculture where you're in a bubble. Wow. So, Catherine, first of all, if anyone hasn't read your book, they should. Thank you. It is fascinating. Thank you. And what you pulled off is I, I, I'm truly speechless that you did what you were a one woman band for a long time. What was interesting in your book, I thought, was you admit that you are a seeker, that you have gone to all the self-help and traveled the world for peace and enlightenment, and that you actually was were the one to introduce Nexium into your family's life. What made you jump in and find you got you said you were walking along Venice Beach with your daughter. Yeah. Okay. And these, you're like, hey, here's a self-help class. Let's do this. Uh, it, it, it's how, how it works is a friend called me up and she badgered me for months saying, this, is, this has changed my life. This is the best thing I've ever done. Somebody I trusted, somebody who'd introduced me to other modalities. And you're very open-minded to I'm all these things. Open. And they, they, the way that they 
described it was that it was a business entrepreneurial program. And India at that point was starting a business. Rick, how many of these come start up as business? I know I, mean, I can name a few that are going on. I don't know if they're cult-like yet around Los Angeles. How many of them use that lure? That it's oh, a business. Big time. Big time. I mean, I mean, there's a, a front organization mm-hmm. I regard it as a front, Sterling Management, which is linked to Scientology. Mm. So a lot of times there's a front group with another name. You don't know who's reeling you in. Yeah. It's a friend who's yeah. sincere and they think they're yeah. getting something out of it. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're in this thing and you had no idea it was Scientology or that it was linked to something as it is uh, in Nexium, for example. I mean, Keith Ranieri, I mean, I dealt with that guy for, uh, he, he sued me for 13 years, if you can imagine. So you got pulled in by a friend. A friend. So I had no idea what, I, they said. she just said, come to an intro. And the intro was really. Is she still your friend? No. Requiring <laughs> <laughs> minds want to know. She no, never even apologized. No what? Christmas card for her. <laughs> no. She's off my list. No, no cheese. What is it? No. Uh, cheese log. Cheese. No cheese log. No cheese log. <laughs> no exactly. cheese log or fruit cake. Thank yeah. you. I was just going right. to say or maybe no a fruit cake. cake. Oh. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well. <laughs> so, anyway, she's one of the people who gets up and gives a testimonial how fantastic this is. And um, there are celebrities, like very high-profile celebrities in the room for this intro. There's credible people. There's sons of Mexican presidents. It's like, yeah, and you wow. talk about you know, all this in your book. High pro, you know, people who, are, who have Ivy League PhDs, these are not dummies. Right. And I was not very impressed by the initial... Um, Presentation. Pre- thank you. Presentation. And India was. But you're very funny when the way you write about the <laughs> original presentation, because it's all your interpretation of this is ridiculous yeah. and, and yeah. you know, making faces and pretending and having these big fake outbursts because you're an actress just to like get the day over with. hundred percent. But which is uh, hilarious, by the way. I love the fact that you're like, <gasps> like you this big what? breakdown and leave. <laughs> Melissa, that, that was the healthiest part of me. That was the the part of me that was my gut telling me this is bullshit. And I couldn't control myself. I'm not I'm usually very composed and well behaved, but I was like a heckler. And <laughs> you were. I was. <laughs> and then I started to have these cathartic kind of moments and it felt good. And now looking back and understanding a bit more about the program, it's this bullshit philosophy that's really indoctrinating you at, you know, subtly step by step peppered with what he stole, Keith, from other from Scientology, from cognitive behavioral therapy. So it works. You feel good. And that's the hook, uh, even though there's probably no long-lasting effects except you become completely brainwashed. Because you took yeah. a lot. You, you sort of half stayed in it a lot. You brought your ex-husband uh, yes. into well, it. Yes. Well, he can stay. <laughs> yeah, she, well, she, well, she jettisoned him. Uh, He's, yeah. But um, it, it, but so you, take mine. Can yeah. you take mine? <laughs> please. <laughs> take mine. Wait, your ex? Yes, please. <laughs> She'd like to sign him up for this? Please. please take him. I did. I was enthusiastic. And I tell you, the, the way that they tricked me is they said, you can't talk about this outside of the people who are taking this course. Which is very scientology Extremely. And it puts a wedge, Rick explains, it puts a wedge between you and your loved ones. And I wanted to discuss what was going on with my my husband at the time. And so I did sign him up for classes. But there's a difference between taking classes and signing up to become a member of this organization, which is when you join the organization, become a coach. And I never 
took, I was never interested in making it my life. I said, okay, this is an this is a tool to help me develop myself, I thought at the time, but I, it's not a lifestyle. And so I was very concerned when India signed up to be a coach. That's well, you know, different. the one thing, Melissa and I had talked about this. Um, we talked about how when you were trying, when you said, listen, I'm, I'm going to do this for my daughter because we do things together and you sign the paperwork, like, fuck it, I'm just going to do it. And then later on, when they told you, they're like, you have to recruit people. You're like, wait, hold on. I didn't sign up for that. Yeah. They're like, but oh, yes, you did. You signed on the dotted line when you gave us your little check or credit card, mind you. So that's one of the things, too. It's just all these little loopholes, these traps that they get you in. Where do you see that a lot? Yeah. Well, yeah, in Nexium, they actually had little teeny fine print mm -hmm. that was a non-disclosure agreement that was uh, a, a note on a visa card slip. So when you signed off on a chorus, you know, and you charged on your visa, you had no idea you were signing an NDA. And when I was sued, an, a woman who had who had shared information about Nexium was also sued. And I said to her, did you sign an NDA? Because they're suing us about an NDA. And she said, I never signed an NDA. But she did unknowingly. Yeah. So these groups, mm -hmm. they're insidious. What they do is they get you to to come in a little bit further, a little bit further, and they, they know where they're taking you, but you don't know. And, and it's done by increments, by baby steps, by spoon feeding. And where you end up is somewhere that you had no idea you were going to end up. Like, for example, people in Scientology uh, have no idea that Scientology's belief system is predicated on a belief in, of alien beings from outer space right. and their spiritual residue, their spirits affecting yeah. you. Scientologists. They're out of space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, I mean, and, and if, if they were to tell somebody that from the get-go and say, look, you know, we believe in, in ghosts from outer space and they, they have a direct impact on your thinking, your life today, and Scientology is the technology to basically rid you the, the e-meter the cans yeah, yeah the cans the e-meter <laughs> we're going to we're going to rid you of the ghosts from outer space they almost got me because they have good food yeah, yeah. They, 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 come, they kept coming, and I was like, "Oh!" And I'm going, "And what's wrong? Everything's beautiful." And you're By the way, really they, good. They at, almost at the got me too. Yes, I've yeah. been to the celebrity center, and there's Tom Cruise's kid walking. Around. I'm like, "Hey, hey, give me some more of them pancakes." They, you know? I had a friend whose sister was Sea Org, and we were wow. both at very, very low points in our lives. And she's like, "Just come and have dinner." So they went to the celebrity center. Good food. And great food, beautifully. At that time, the head of the celebrity center was a woman. They introduced. I mean, they, they tried. They mm -hmm. kept reaching out and trying to get their hooks in me. And here's the private parking, and nobody needs to know. And I'm like, well, and we have childcare. I have my son. Da -da. And I was like, oh, okay. So they, I, they gave me some book to read, and I'm on right. a plane reading a book, and I'm like, why do I feel like I'm doing homework? And then they kept calling and calling, and I'm like, you know what? I don't need to do homework like this. And I, I, I said, but boy, oh boy, were they trying to be incredibly seductive. Oh, be, right. beyond. Because I was telling Melissa, I was like, I got my radar up. She was like, oh, it's, they, it's okay. So I was like, mm-mm. Got my eye on her, him, and them too. Yeah. and But it, finally it was just like, they're like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, I don't, I'm out of college. I don't need to do homework. Like if it feels like homework, mm -hmm. I 
don't it doesn't well, it, it goes back stupid. to what Catherine was saying there's something that guards us internally yeah. mm-hmm. whether you get that gut feeling or you get that mm-hmm. little voice something that is really kind of trying to head you off of what you're about to encounter you talk you you touch a little bit on that in your book as well. You guys have got to get Catherine's book. Um, So it's those little things that sometimes we have to just kind of back up, pause, and really kind of take a a real view of the big picture of what's going on. Especially women. Because we are taught not to listen to that little voice. Well, see, with, with Scientology for me, they only had women, strong women, women in leadership positions talking to me. Mm-hmm. Because they knew... That was something that was, the, that draw. Do you was know, the draw. One of the warning signs I would say that I would tell other people to watch out for is any organization that requires, that uses aggressive recruitment is a huge red flag. And well, you, also and it, that makes you pay. Well, yes, the agreed. But if you think about what is their, why are they so aggressive and what is their agenda? Like, what are they, you know, well, why do they? Scientologist wasn't aggressive. They took, it was over a year before, you know, like I've been going there and I'm like, I don't understand why everyone's giving them such a hard time. You know, everything yeah. is so beautiful and lovely. Look and at my, you, little valley girl. I had a great time and I used to talk like that. And my, <laughs> my, my friend had a, a house, had a ranch and then it slowly is like, you know what, I, I gave this up for some, I gave it to them but now I have this card and he's living in a, a trailer, you know, behind a, a car lot. And I'm like, you had a house. You had this. And then I was like, you were, you had sense. I don't understand what you're doing. And he seems so happy, but he had given up everything. Well, I think the point of all you and I and, and all of us saying like our own personal experiences, smart people get right. sucked in. Yep. Starting with, and I want to go back to yeah. India. No dumb bunny. No dumb bunny. Very, very, she seems to be very, very intuitive. Yep. What was the hole do you think it was somehow filling in her? Oh, because she had, a, she, on paper, she had a great childhood. Yeah, she had a very privileged childhood, I would say. But also you exposed her to the world. Exactly. You traveled. You, I mean, yeah. it was I thought a that- rich, in not in a monetary term, but a very emo- rich childhood. And you had a, a, yes. a, a strong bond with your daughter. Yes, yes, I did. Still, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm, but it's been sorely tested because what they did was they alienated her against me and they targeted me specifically. And all of those, that the way they implanted her with so much hatred for me, it's like, it's so painful knowing that I love her so deeply and to see how much she's been messed with. Um, it's criminal, actually, what they did. Was there drugs involved? Like, no, how do you- no, it's not. But the power of their indoctrination and the emotional abuse that they were subjected to on a daily basis is saying, I would say she went through a form of terrorist training. Like the way that they broke Did her down. Did she live there? Was yeah. It like, okay. they, but again, it was a, like Rick said, it's a slow drip. It is. It's a First, drip, drip, it's drip. It's here. Then it's this seductive kind of lure. You've got to come to meet Keith. Um, there's then a camp. There's a camp. There the summer camp she went to. Then that's the move to Albany, which is the epicenter of the cult. But it's slow. It means over a seven-year process. 
And, and, yeah. and once she's in Albany with the other Nexium people, you know, the other espions, as they were once called, uh, you're in a bubble. Yeah. And your intuitive feeling yeah. is being falsified by the subculture that's gathered around that you. that culture who are, is protecting you. Well, no, yes. they're telling you if you have a critical thought, a doubt or whatever, they're telling you that that is wrong, it's false. And one of the red flags that comes up is, is if you're in a group and there's no legitimate reason to leave and that if your mom leaves you can't talk to her Mm -hmm. that's a red flag if you're in a group and they don't tolerate critical questions and people talking about their doubts that's another red flag and just to underscore something i do interventions i've done over 500 in the united states and, and around the world and among the people that i've done interventions to rescue and family uh work uh, five were medical doctors. One was an orthopedic surgeon, one was an anesthesiologist, and I also helped a woman leave a very bad, uh, abusive, controlling relationship that I would call a cultic relationship, who was a, a licensed clinical psychologist. Was she from the R. Kelly group? No. <laughs> okay. No. Not unless R. Kelly's... I'm, I'm uh, just saying, because there was a lot of cult stuff going on there. Just seems controlling like... abusive relationships yeah. use the same tools right. as cults. Right. Exactly the same tool. Are you guys scared for your lives? You're talking about this. I, You're gr- I know, getting I'm people looking out. Up there. I'm like, where is your I'm bodyguard? Like, Are you yeah. packing? What's have, going on? Have you had death threats? I mean, like you yes. messing with people's money yeah. and livelihoods. Well, exactly. I've been sued. I've been sued by five different groups. They were buying my garbage from a high rise in Jersey City that I, I lived in. I also had death right. threats. Right. But uh, yeah. yeah. And it still would, cannot go to Mexico. I may never ever be able to go to Mexico. When you love Mexico. You love Tulum. I, I am very pat- loving. I do yes. love Tulum. Well, you sounds like you got some yeah. common sense. Well, <laughs> yeah. And common sense isn't so common, so I'm glad that yeah. you're using, like, what, you're utilizing yours. What goes on in an intervention? An intervention is basically broken down into five parts, and let me plug my book, Cults Inside Out, which has a chapter on it, uh, chapters on all of this, including defining a destructive cult, cult brainwashing, how to prepare for an intervention, coping strategies, and so forth. It's kind of a manual on how to respond to this problem. So the intervention breaks down into five basic building blocks. One is defining a destructive cult. What is it? And then drawing parallels between the group, the individual, involved in and that and and that model and then two um, what is cult brainwashing how does it work what is coercive persuasion uh, let's break it down and see if it applies to the group that you're in in their behavior and the way they indoctrinate people and then three uh, what is there about the group that you don't know that you should know historically before you continue on what are they hiding from you then the fifth is why is your family doing this why have they assembled uh, together to do this intervention? And then I think when we talk about cult, I think it is just so important not to abuse that word because when we say cult, we mean destructive cult. We're not talking about Elvis fans or Mm -hmm. a cult following, Mm -hmm. Grateful Dead, uh, you know, Jerry Garcia's cult following, the the, the deadheads. So I think when we use the term destructive cult or cult, we need to make distinctions and we can't just throw throw it out and say everything's a cult because then it it, it loses its uh, value of of identifying a phenomenon. Well, you brought up the uh, Bronfen family. Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, Seagram's family, billionaires. The two younger daughters Mm -hmm. 
Claire and Sarah mm-hmm. somehow got gotten mixed up in Nexium, which is again, you wonder what was missing in their lives that they get pulled into this. But they they've used their money to keep it afloat for many, many years. And that was one of the things, Catherine, that you ran into when you were trying not only to save your daughter, but to actually bring it down. And for those who don't know, Nexium went so far, they were branding people. Yeah. There were, I mean, there was a lot of a whole slave mentality, slave master. Slaves then could become a master by recruiting more slaves Mm -hmm. and literally physically marking them. Yeah. With the leader's initials. Yes. And most of them what? weren't aware of it. They, they, they were told they it was just know. a symbol. symbol. Yeah. But when you study the symbol, you see initials. So how, what? Stone cold pimp. Yeah, uh, exa- exa- yeah. no different. Very no, similar. Yeah, Very no similar. How mm. did you, tell the story about how you literally brought them down. Well, it was a process. From the moment that some, a defector called me up and said, your daughter's in danger, and she didn't even have all the facts at that point, but I sat down with her and she explained what was going on, that my daughter was on a starvation diet of like 500, 800 calories a day, that uh, she was sleep deprived, that she was part of a slave master hierarchy, like you said, uh, that she had had to give collateral, that there was a secret inner, secret group within the organization called DOS, um, or the VOW, and that India was part of that. And that the, she'd had to give very damaging collateral, probably compromising me, which I didn't care about. Um, and that she had been sucked into something very, very dangerous. So I immediately, actually immediately started, I saw a, a cult therapist in L.A. immediately. I started reading literature about cults and educating myself because I knew nothing. I didn't understand. And um, I also... I used the excuse of India's birthday to bring her back because I could never get her back from Albany. She was always busy, 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 which I guess is one of the things they keep you very busy. And um, and then I failed. I did an intervention, and I failed. And um, the worst part was seeing my daughter get back on a plane, go back to Albany, because they were planning another branding ritual to brand 50 more women, which was just... Which is terrifying. To, beyond terrifying. Like cattle. Yeah, I get burned yeah. by my curling iron, and I'm, re- I'm having some issues. That's right. The single most salient feature of a destructive cult is that absolute leader. Yeah. And that's why a lot of them, when the leader dies, the group kind of disintegrates. Mm-hmm. And, and though now some of these groups are so rich that they have so many assets, like Scientology is worth at least $3 billion, and there are other groups that are worth hundreds of millions. And so there's a will to go on even after the leader dies to just keep the cash flowing and take advantage of it all. Well, if they keep the restaurant open, the cafe open, and we don't always have some people in Scientology. (laughs) That food was good. (laughs) But Catherine, go on. Uh, Okay, so um, after she flew back, I'd actually was able to prevent other young women from going because I went ballistic and I started to call everybody that was at this birthday party and say, you're involved in potentially criminal Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And the FBI, I already said that this was back in beginning of June 2017. I said the FBI is going to move in, like wishful thinking at that point. But, and I had reached out to law enforcement, local law enforcement in the Albany area. And they, when I explained it, they said, well, they're over 18, they're consenting adults. So I knew I was up against something that was going to be a monumental fight. And you took to 
which I thought was brilliant, the press. I took to the press. But that was a last resort because I knew that the moment that I exposed my daughter that there was going to be irreparable damage. So I really tried everything before that. And then I got on the phone. The day she flew back, I, I called 50 people. Rick was one of them. And he has been like the most incredible support. I mean, and in the beginning when I said I was going to war, what it, you thought that I was crazy, right? Well, there had been, you know, for years and years, you know, I mean, I had dealt with people leaving Nexium and telling me about the horrible things that went on there, labor violations, uh, uh, immigration violations, uh, medical neglect, uh, tax fraud, uh, money laundering. And, and I suspected sexual improprieties. I didn't know to what extent. And when Catherine said, I'm going to take them down, I thought, well, I've heard this before, but I had no idea. Little I did you know. Little did I know that when Catherine says, I will take this down, she means now. So, so you yes, went to war. You went, actually created went, a war room I, in your house. I did. And then I, um, I reached out to a bunch of lawyers, and they were incredible. And they started helping me, and they said, well... You know, another friend of mine said, I can guarantee there's criminal activity going on in this group. You just need to you just need to find it. And I started to dig deep and I found crime after crime from money laundering to racketeering. I mean, it was a, it was a, all the RICO charges. It was all the, yeah, everything. So when and I had help for this, but when I put together a packet for the government of like 300 pages, but I named all the crimes and explained all everything that was happening and who was committing those crimes, their names, their addresses, their phone numbers, who were hostile witnesses, who were friendly wow. witnesses. No, I, because what I was told is you need to provide like a case in a box or the government is not going to do it because the government doesn't want to touch these people that are so rich that they can hire the best lawyers in the country. I mean, nobody wanted to take them on. Well, and they were being bankrolled by, by the, Bronfins. the Bronfins. And these two girls inherited Two each, of the Bronfins. Two we have to Bronfins. make sure we're very yes, clear very. on that it's not the whole family. The whole family, no. Um, Claire and Sarah allegedly inherited $600 million each from both their father and their grandfather. So, And they had no qualms about pouring. They probably poured $200 million yeah, into... $150, $200 million million they poured in. Poured each. in. Five to million fighting, to, yeah. fifth, right? Yeah. 50 lawsuits, probably. Well, poor Rick. They, they spent yeah. $5 million suing me that we know of. And that doesn't include all the money they spent on PIs and everything. Mm -hmm. So th there was palpable fear on the part of the authorities and various people that said, look, these guys have limitless funds and they're going to come after you. And then Catherine said, well, bring it on because that's my daughter and I'm going to take you down. And, and for months, she tried to find another way. Yeah. She tried to find a quiet peaceful way to just get her daughter out. And that was one of the most terrible mistakes that Keith Raniere, the cult leader, made was that he should have just said, okay, Catherine, here's your daughter, go away. But instead, he would not do that. And so Catherine went, okay, so then the only way that I'm going to get my daughter back is to take you down. So I'm taking you down. Do you know that that conversation was happening on their end? Because Sarah Bronfman's husband actually told India, my daughter, that the discussion was give her, give take India and give her back to her mother so her mom will leave us alone and go away. And the ultimate irony is, is that if I had succeeded in the intervention or if they had done that, she and I would have walked away arm in arm. He would still be branding women. He would still be exploiting right, women. Right. And this would be still going on. It was only because my daughter dug her heels in the way that she did that this whole thing was taken. Right, was and then, and then she down. said, you can't do that. I'm not leaving. Yeah. So she's really 
the reason why this cult <laughs> fell so you apart. So you got the government involved. I got the... I, I, I'm, One of the great stories in the book is when you presented, as you called it, the case in the box, where you dressed the part <laughs> of a woman with no fear. And if I remember correctly, you were... Thigh-high boots. I did. <laughs> One of the very few possessions so that survived my fire. Yes. Well, what <laughs> did you have in the thigh-high boots? Because I know what I would have had. With a gun? Probably. <laughs> you can't really get in a government office wearing a gun. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know Sabrina. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But you went in. I went in. I work, was working every angle. Working every And I was terrified. Yeah. But I do love that you bring that up in the book. We're like, well... Got to use what you got. Hey, girl, yes. puss in boots, hey. hey. Yes, totally puss in boots. Yeah. Puss of seven leagues. You, you know, one, one thing that I'm thinking that's really important to bring up is we all have cracks. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have sensitive areas where I, I would liken it, and Keith Raniere was a, a he was just so good at that. He could identify what people's vulnerabilities or cracks were, and then he would drill down into them and then leverage them to the point that he could crack people open. But it goes back to what Catherine's saying. Abusers do that. Yes. Right. Exactly they hone the same. in on what it, whatever it is, that whether it's financial, emotional, mental, physical, they hone in you on that. You know why? They draw you out. Mm -hmm. They make you feel special. And then when you've revealed your weaknesses, they, then they use those to destroy absolutely. you. And he did the same thing. The whole program was designed. The first set of questions you get is, what are you most afraid of? What's the worst thing you've ever done? What is the thing you're most ashamed of? So basically, you're handing him the key to right, you're handing the blueprint you. to your psyche. Exactly. So they have since all been charged, paid fines. Keith convicted. Convicted will be going to prison for a very long time. I uh -oh. assume him for sure, right? He will probably go to prison for the rest of his life. Allison uh, because Mack. Allison Mack is probably going to do some serious time. Mm -hmm. uh, Nancy Salzman, I think, will do at least three years, and uh, Claire Bronfman, I think, the lowest sentence that she could possibly get is twenty-seven months. Well, I got some news for you. I don't know. You probably know, oh. but. Um, the judge has notified her lawyers that yeah. he's going to be um, sentencing her longer than the guidelines. Yeah. Which is wow. very good news. Yes. To skip ahead, how did you reconnect with India? I know your mother was a big, big. part of bridging this. Mm -hmm. And you talk about a story where your mother, you, you, you hung out and hid and your mother went and had coffee with her. Yeah. She wouldn't talk. She wasn't allowed to talk to me. She was still hating you. Oh, she was hating me. Yeah. But your mother, she was there from the start, from yep. cutting the umbilical cord and yep. helping you pull her out. Yep. So what, mm. what has happened? How did you guys begin to reconnect? Oh, gosh. So first of all, I interviewed literally every uh, cult interventionist that I could find to, to see who would be the best fit for her. And every time I reached out, I'm like, when you're ready to talk to somebody, and I said, you know, just trust me, I will be there for you the minute you separate yourself from this organization. I will help you rebuild your life. 
you know, there's a wonderful, there's a wonderful future waiting for you when you're ready. And just the waiting was the most painful. Yeah. Because you just want to go in and grab, grab her. And not let go. And not let go. And then eventually she needed help because Keith had been arrested. Allison had been arrested. She was living with Allison. You know, the FBI came to her apartment and interviewed her right where Allison was arrested. She was afraid to go. I mean, this is very scary for a young woman suddenly that she's in severe legal jeopardy. She was still completely brainwashed, didn't understand um, what she was a part of at all. So it took two years for her to even want to sit down and trust me enough and then move back in with me. But it was a very long you know, process. And then her reading the book, which I really wrote for her. I'm like, if she could read the information that I'm putting forth in this book, she's going to see what she's really part of. And it did help reading the book. I mean, she said, wow, if I'd known this, I maybe wouldn't have fallen prey to this. And she found it very, very helpful. At the same time, very, you know, painfully exposing because... Well, and and you took very extreme measures yeah. because you felt your back was up against the wall in bringing in press. The New York yeah. Times article, was yeah. it uh, Times. 2020? Everything. I did I mean, 2020. Everything. I did the Today Show. I did Megan. I did everything. everything until I got the government's attention. And the minute that they said, and I got a call through my lawyers from the FBI and the assistant attorney... U.S. attorney, and they said, you have our attention. You don't have to do this alone anymore and carry the burden of this. We're coming in, and we're coming in aggressively. Mm. So, wow. And I just wow. saw, I sobbed because I didn't know if I could so do it anymore. No, it was so painful. And knowing that I was causing her so much pain. Right. I mean, that, and, and you talk about that in the book, that a lot of it was she was so angry that you were exposing them. Yeah. And these that's, were her friends, her, her new family. Yeah, exactly. This is her new family. Exactly, yeah. right. Exactly. But this was, this was the decision. It's like, I can't let her live that life. I can't. Can never and count I, out a mother's love. No. And I knew that, that she was being compromised in the same way that Allison was being compromised. And the likelihood is that she would end up behind bars. Well, and the problem with this group, and I think her life was on the line. And mm-hmm. I think many of the people that have dealt with uh, destructive cults realize that these cult leaders are typically psychopaths. Yeah. And and certainly Keith Raniere, uh has been described as a psychopath. Uh, Jim Jones, uh, the leader of the Which People's Temple. Which was the one with Temple. the purple triangles. Uh, that was Marshall Applewhite, the right. leader of Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. who, is, who, who signed himself in and out of mental institutions before he sequestered... Well, that should be a red flag. Yes. And he... His uh, cohort in crime, you know, Bonnie Nettles, was actually a psychiatric nurse, and they met when he was in the hospital. And then they went out to create their group, and eventually there were 39 people that died, including Marshall Applewhite, in a mansion in Southern California because he was nuts. And what happens with these groups is you are tethered to the leader, Mm -hmm. and the leader is moving to more and more extremes because there's no checks and balances on that leader, no accountability. And so the leader is escalating, typically. Many of these leaders do because they have no one to say stop, mm-hmm. no one to say it's, it's, this is not okay. And the only way that you can vote in such a group is to leave. And if you leave, you're branded as a negative person. And separated no- from family and yeah. friends. And yeah. I guess the main question is, how? Why do these always end badly? No, well, Whether it be through a mass suicide, mm-hmm. being taken down by the government. Um, I mean, the, something like Branch Davidian. 
this never seems to end well. No. Why? Well, because there is no check and balance on the leader. The leader is typically not very well mentally, emotionally, and and could be described as a sociopath, a yeah. psychopath, uh, certainly narcissistic personality disorder at a minimum. Mm-hmm. So these people just are like, you know, the ever-ready bunny heading for the cliff. And all of these people are dependent on the leader to think for them, make value mm-hmm. judgments for them. And the leader has engendered that dependency deliberately. And so when the leader goes over the cliff, everybody goes over the cliff with the leader, like with Jim Jones or Marshall Applewhite or David Koresh. But in fairness, I think that the groups that make it to the nightly news and our headlines with a tragedy, they're in the minority. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of groups that are operating thousands in the United States alone that are not getting publicity, Mm -hmm. that are not that bad, uh, that are just basically making a lot of money and the leader is living very well and they may go on and on indefinitely until that leader dies or until things change with that group. Is there something in humans who just seek a God, uh, seek some kind of a need for someone to tell you what to do? Because we're talking brilliant people. You talked about doctors, lawyers, like smart young ladies, but like they need to be led. They, they need something. No one needs to be raped. And I think that we need to be really careful how we talk about cult victims Mm -hmm. because if we are not careful, it's almost like we're blaming and shaming. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. and I think that the reality is we're all vulnerable. Mm -hmm. If if you put me in some compound for 30, 60, 90 days, I think I'd be on the team. I mean, it just, we're all vulnerable. The human mind is much more fragile than we would like to admit. And I think a lot of the time when we, when we say what's wrong with those people, or there must be something going on with them that makes them vulnerable. Having said that we all have our cracks and our, and our vulnerabilities, we also all go through, like Melissa said, a bad patch. And you could be going through a bad patch over over a death in the family, over a divorce, over whatever, you lost your job, you're flunking out of school. And at that point, somebody who's very uh, nice, maybe a friend, a family member who truly believes in this group, comes up to you and says, hey, I've got a way to make you feel okay. There's a pathway to help you now. And you're kind of drowning and someone's throwing you a lifeline. And so you grab it and you have no idea that they're pulling you into a cult. When I was in college, there was a lot of groups, and they would try to get you with, here's a food. You know, I'm not a Hare Krishna right now because I did not like that food. I like that food. (laughs) I was like, what is this? I would have been dancing around right now in like a pajama, but mm -mm, because the food was not good. Next on the Food Network. (laughs) Salt. But I would like to say that some of these programs are really dangerous. And you start off being an intelligent person who can think critically and without, and that's the undue influence, right? The program very subtly starts to unhook your ability to think for yourself. So you get sucked in because you no longer have the same mental capacity that you did in the beginning. That's what's so spooky about it. I am fascinated by this. I definitely want to do another full episode just talking about this. Thank you, everyone. This has been amazing. I am off to go pitch a show at 
Food Network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, join us next time on Group Text.